0: Hey! Welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church, for young adults, by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy!
1: good morning church family it is so wonderful to see all of you here friends basketball players from the Drazen family over here this is church isn't it wonderful to gather on the Sabbath to just be amongst God's people it is truly a gift that we're given as a community This morning, whether or not you are single, you're dating, you're married, you're unhappily married, you're a grandparent, (laughs) or somewhere in between, I know that God has a word for you, and I think that this message and topic is so important as we enter into the beginning of the school year on this campus, but also around our country. And so this morning I want to encourage you to consider thoughtfully what God's word has for you as you think about this. So would you pray with me now? Merciful Father, Jehovah Jireh, provider of salvation, grace for our sin and all we could ever ask or need. Jesus, we come before you this morning needing to slow down down slow down the noise in our homes work and the voice in our head of a world in pain encouraging us to medicate as it believes is right and good Jesus speak into our lives this morning a word we desperately need to hear soften our pride as we listen and father speak in spite of me in Jesus name and all God's people say amen Amen. I love my family, especially my wife and kids. Elaine and I have a great time with these three that we have. Petra just started soccer this last week in the church league. She's four years old. Man, she is squealing, running around the field, not really sure of what to do fully, holding the ball more than kicking the ball. But she's having a great time. She didn't want to go home after practice on Thursday night. No, tata, no. We got to go. We're going to come back. Don't worry. Little sweet Mila, one-year-old, she's just so excited to just smile at us in the morning when we see her just to cuddle next to us. And then our three-year-old John Philip, so full of life, joy, laughter, going from one end of the house to the other and always leaving a little trail behind (laughs) to tell you that he was there. This one morning we were making breakfast for the kids and there's that scary feeling when you just don't hear anything. And I'm like, Elena, where's John Phillip? Oh no. I had just been in my office, I opened my Bible, I left a pen out. And I ran to the back sure enough there was my bible open to Proverbs 22:6 Train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it And then with that smile and pen in hand that little graffiti artist had marked up the whole page Kid I'm not training you up to be a graffiti artist my goodness They're precious. They're awesome. You know, but as much love as I have for them, I also have a deathly fear. A fear for the world that they're in and a fear of the lives that we live. Two-parent home, we don't have a lot of margin, not a lot of time to have conversation around the dinner table. We got to go, we got to go, we got to go. We got things to do, bills to pay, things to accomplish. The kids need this. We got to finish that and... It seems as though there's so little time for us as a family to really enjoy being in one another's presence. And the problem is, as margins get little, depth of conversation develops into unhealthy eating habits, and late nights after the kids go to bed, it's almost like this revenge to sleep. No, I'm not going to sleep. This is my free time finally. So you scroll on your phone with that blue screen for a while. Is that the way life was supposed to be? Is that it? Well, maybe we can kind of almost give a little bit of an apology. Hey, listen, it's the modern life. That's just the way it is. And if you left here today just simply understanding that God is for you, that his mercy is upon you, and don't beat yourself up over it, man, you will have left with a good message. But friend, I can't let you be so naive as well to think this shallow understanding is all there is. Well, that's just the way it is. Accept it as a fact. That's all that you can think, because I'm reminded of a poignant, piercing passage in First Peter five eight that says this: "Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." I'm going to talk to you this day. I want you to respond back to me. Amen. Come on, amen? Amen. Hallelujah, there we go. You see, we need to be a little bit more alert, a little bit more sober-minded as a community. We need to understand that the unconscious thoughts and actions of our minds are shaping who we're becoming and who our kids and families and relationships are like. Some of you go to work and you have kind of a, just a flat demeanor there. That shapes your peers and what they think about you. He's just chill, man. Just leave him alone. Others of you walk into a room with a little bit more anxiety about you. Just a little bit unsure about this and that. Others of you, you got a little bit more passion. All of these different ways of relating to each other. And then there are the habits that we just kind of go by. You know, they say that 75% of our actions and thoughts are literally habits. We don't even think about it. It's so annoying because at home this last a couple of weeks ago, we had, you know, thrown out all the trashes, and I did the one in the kitchen. I threw away the trash, and then all of a sudden, I forgot the one really important thing, to put the trash bag back in, a new one. And that whole morning, six times, I opened the door and throw in trash without the trash bag in there. There are habits that shape who we are and who we become and who our children end up becoming. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are these habits making a significant impact in kingdom value? Are these habits in the ways we run and do our life, are they actually making a difference to make better Jesus followers? Make people who are more soft to the Holy Spirit as he speaks. Making us more in tune with the things of God and the cares of this world. Are our habits shaping us into better Followers of Jesus. There's a really great book that I've been reading lately and I can't encourage you enough to pick up a copy of this, Habits of the Household by Justin Early. This is his second book, first one he won an award as Book of the Year by Christianity Today and this one is just as good and so important. Practicing the story of God in everyday family rhythms and he writes in it, listen to this, My habits are forming me into a certain kind of parent. My parenting has formed my kids into certain kinds of children. We are all together forming each other into a certain kind of family. There's no escaping habits and formation in the family. We become our habits and our kids become us. The family, for better or for worse, is a formation machine. So I want to ask you a couple questions. You saw it there in the meditation. We are all creating certain cultures in our homes, and so at the outset of our time together, I want you to ponder your life for a moment. Consider the first question. How do the habits, the unconscious thoughts and actions of your daily life help or hinder your relationships, your profession, the walk with Jesus? How are they impacting all those spaces? Second question, how do the habits that you have created in the culture of your home help or hinder the people and church around your family? Michelle Anthony, in her book, Spiritual Parenting and Awakening for Today's Families, just states this very plainly, and she says, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking you see the habits of our life we sometimes assume are fine but a lot of times the habits of our life the way we wake up I don't know how many of you if you're like me oh it's morning where's my phone oh it's uh evening time where's my phone oh it's a free moment here at the cash register where's my phone Oh, it's one of those moments that I just don't want to listen or talk to anybody. Where's my phone? Those have shaped who I have become around others. They've shaped my interactions with people. There I was, my very first church after graduating seminary. Probably almost 11 years ago. A wonderful place. There were no positions here in Loma Linda where we were living. Elena started the medical school. And the conference office said, Philip, there's a church that would love to have you, but it's 70 miles away. I'll take it. Grew to love that people, that congregation. It was wonderful. And I was preparing a sermon that Friday evening, and it was getting late, and I just could not land on a good illustration. And I just prayed a prayer. I said, dear Lord. Please help me to find some way to grab the attention of your people, that it would connect their hearts to your word. Amen. Oh, boy. Did God answer my prayer? Let me tell you the dream. The dream was I was in a home, a beautiful mountain home with all of these church families. It was an expansive region of the country and there was a mountain range nearby. The horizon was open. It was just beautiful. It was glorious. And all of us, these church families kind of milling around, kids running all over and just parents talking to each other. And then all of a sudden, someone noticed far in the distance, that looked like a creature. It started to come closer. and, And someone said, hey, that's a lion. And then in the horizon there were more than just one line. There were now a couple. Now three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, boy. There were many. The phones started to come out and people started to take pictures. The kids ran to the window with their eyes wide open and then the phone clicks. We always like to get a picture of something, don't we? I got to remember this for Instagram. I got to put this up somewhere. I got to remember this moment. And people taking pictures just enamored with the beautiful creation of God's nature in this ferocious, large animal.
0: I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon.
1: Now the children started saying, Hey mom, the uh, lines are all over the yard here are we okay oh we're fine honey we're inside the house don't worry but there was one thing that I saw that others couldn't there in my dream I saw that the back door was cracked open a young lion walked its head through poking around curious and then its whole body followed by that one then many And the whole place started to turn into a pandemonium as chaos emerged. Lions running and attacking the families I knew. And that fear gripped me and I started to run, trying to find any place I could. And getting into a storage room, I climbed up to the top shelf and I was startled awake. Just as this lion's paw was coming for me. What are you to think with something like that? What was God trying to say? What message was in that? And then I thought, boy, I don't know if there's any message. What did I eat last night? Those burritos were really something. But I believe that that dream reminded me that Christian families today are under attack. I don't know how many of you realize that, how many of you understand that, but in the last decade, the world has changed so drastically much. And when I look at my life and and our family, I feel the attack. I sense it around me. I know shaky marriages, unhealthy home lives, personal choices from people that they're just not proud of but don't want to tell anyone, don't want help. You don't have to wonder why some of the challenges are happening in life because why there is an enemy. There is a lion named Satan who is looking for whom he may devour. Yes. And when he can take out the family unit, the building block of Christian society, he can take out a lot more after that. And friend, I don't stand up here with any pride of any kind because if you saw my life and if I would invite you into our home someday, like, Pastor, you might need a cleaning lady, you might need this, you might How are you talking to your kids like that? My goodness, do you have time for that? I come up here as a fellow servant of God that is with you. In the same trenches, in the same battle, in the same spaces. I understand, but man, are we under attack. And some of you are like, Pastor, I don't really relate to that. That's fine. Maybe you don't feel the oppression, but maybe you feel the pressure. The complete exhaustion that you work yourself into. The anxiety of the societal demands upon you at work, at school, and your relationships, and your marriage, and your parenting, and your grandparenting, and just praying for your children that aren't even maybe here. The countless kids that could be in these pews, and the young families that just aren't. It's a sobering reality. Listen, family is truly a blessing, and God's word tells us it's a blessing. But what do we do when our foundation is cracking beneath the blessing? The psalmist David in Psalms chapter eleven three 3 says, when the foundations are being destroyed, what, what can the righteous do? Families throughout scripture Beginning in heaven, moving into Eden, and then going from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Tell of an imperfect family. Families who, man, if you were around and they were part of our church membership, you would wonder, uh, Pastor, you know, I know we haven't had a business meeting in a long time, but I think these people got to go. There's, there's deception, there's thievery, there's murder. I mean, are you sure you want them around? The Bible tells of families who look a lot like our own. Some worse, some better. But these are families that are struggling, and I think the Scriptures portray that because that's life. Life is struggle in many ways. But also God's people cannot be so blind to assume that that is the way it should be just because it's broken. Sometimes we kind of just fall into that, hey, that's the way the world is, bro. Just, just, just live with it. Just live with it. Just live with that reality. Hey, listen, don't rock the boat. Don't... But I want to tell you, I think that we need to consider those families once again. and Maybe a family that we haven't really talked a lot about. You're wondering, well, what family could you talk about? Man, they're all messed up. I want you to consider with me a family that we don't really discuss kind of as a model example to us, but... A Roman centurion and his home. Usually, we talk about this story and this person in when we're trying to give people biblical eating standards. Hey, look at Genesis—I mean Acts chapter ten. Look at chapter eleven. They weren't talking about pork and unclean foods. It was the Gentile. But I think there's something really important that we'll miss when we don't talk about those first eight verses and who exactly this person was. And so I want you to open up your Bible, pull out your phone, don't scroll on it now, but take a moment to turn with me to Acts chapter 10 and verse 1 and look at this with me. It will be on the screen as well. We're going to look at the man and the place and the habits that emerge from this section of scripture. And it begins with a profound actually place. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Just stop right there. There is a lot going on. You see, Caesarea was 30 miles north of Joppa, where we end up kind of needing to get a little communication going on later in the, in the story. But Caesarea was really kind of a, no kind of significance of a town until Herod the Great rebuilt it. He rebuilt it in a significant way, honored Augustus Caesar, named it after him who was the adopted heir of Julius Caesar. He rebuilt the walls. He added a huge amphitheater. He created a temple dedicated to Rome and its gods. He then also brought in many, many military soldiers to come and protect his newest creation, a beautiful aqueduct that piped in fresh water into the city but he also had to protect Rome's assets in the city because this also became a place of taxation for Rome in that Judean province. And he also needed to protect the grain trade. You see, grain was taken out of Egypt and then passed through the region of those seas and then taken to Rome. And so there were a need for a lot of soldiers, and that led to a lot of fights. You see, there were more military men and families there present than there were the Jewish people. The Jews hated Caesarea. Most likely this is where the wars of kind of the 66 to 70 began. The riots emerged here with the war in Rome, of Rome. And many, sadly, almost 20,000, it's said, to have lost their lives there in the war. The Jewish people had to mourn the loss of their family and friends. And so Caesarea, while it was a no-good town at one time, it became the provincial administration of the province. It was a showpiece of Roman culture. It was a place of fashion and gods and wealth. It became a significant place. And it's here in this place that our story goes on. But now let's talk about the man, the man named Cornelius. It says he was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and your gift to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Wow. Wow. This man named Cornelius was a centurion. Centurions oversaw about 100 Roman soldiers. Some commentators say even more than that. Cornelius, the text also brings out, was not just of any regiment, but kind of one of those regiments of an individual who were archers, and they were people who were kind of protected at a distance. But also, Plebius, ancient writer there, tells us that the centurions were the solid bedrock of the Roman military. They were the steadfast ones who would stay in place when literally everyone was running. They were taught to stay till death. A centurion was also someone who had worked up the ranks, who showed to be a man of maturity and good stature, someone who could hold the honor of many men and follow commands. And so in the Jewish, in the Roman eyes, he was someone who was looked up to. And even in the Jewish eyes, The text brings out that it says that he was devout, God-fearing. And when it talks about that, it isn't talking about Christianity at this point. You see, the strange thing, this guy had converted to Judaism. Wait a minute, Judaism? Cornelius' family becomes one of the first Gentile converts to the Jewish faith in that Roman province endearing himself to the Jewish ethics, moral code, even keeping the Sabbath and worshiping the God of the Old Testament. And though many of the Jews would still call him unclean, he still was unlike any Roman officials we might anticipate. Those Roman officials would have worshipped at the temple there in Rome, of the temple of Rome, would have sacrificed to the idols, would have enjoyed the lavish lifestyle, would have done everything else but... Worship the God of the old.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry Or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next
1: episode.